Hello and welcome back to the Working Mum Podcast. This is episode 13. Today I chat with Catherine Brooks, an employment lawyer and fellow working mama. Welcome to the Working Mama Podcast, a show that provides real world tips, tricks and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. My name is Karina O'Brien, a fellow working parent trying to manage the juggle. Each week, we'll be looking at all things related to working parents with special guests and solo episodes to help you navigate the world of having children and a career. Hi, mamas. Hope you're having a great day today. With me, I have Catherine Brooks, who is an employment lawyer. Welcome, Catherine. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great. We've been meaning to have this chat for a while, so it's great that we finally get to it and I guess it's a different conversation than what we would have had a couple of months ago as well yeah so maybe it was meant to be the universe has told us now is the right time I think so (laughs) so why don't we kick it off and how do you best describe yourself ah okay well I'm a working mama so probably quite relevant to being (laughs) on your podcast um So I'm 37, I currently have two jobs, I'm a lawyer and I'm also working with my family business where we do strategic fundraising. I have two young sons um, and a partner, Brendan, and we're raising hopefully strong feminist young boys. So today we're actually going to do a bit of a deep dive into COVID-19 related topics at the start because I know that you've also been doing a lot of work around that. Do you want to do give a bit of an overview about the JobKeeper payments? Who's who's who can get them? How does it work? Because uh, I know you've been giving some pro bono advice to people, so it'd be great to share that knowledge as well. Yeah, certainly. So uh, basically, in my day job, I represent employers, so that's the business side. Um, but I know that there are many families and people out there struggling. So through the um, Facebook group, Babies, Toddlers, Kids, Melbourne, which was actually started by another uh, Melbourne lawyer, um, I'm closely connected in that community. There's over 20,000 members. And I put a post out when the government announced the JobKeeper um, and just said that because of my job as an employment lawyer, I've had to learn a lot about this new um, entitlement and the legislation surrounding that. So if anyone had any queries then feel free um, to ask me so I basically spent probably about a week um, and each night with the baby sort of probably feeding on me or sleeping on me um, (laughs) answering questions from a range of um, mostly women who were trying to work out if they could access the JobKeeper payments so um, I did it was actually a really fantastic learning curve for me to be able to answer those real practical questions um, and if anyone did want to see that I'm sure you can jump on the feed and see all the, the comments that have been answered and the links that have been shared um, and so through that um, I really determined that basically with the JobKeeper provisions an employer so the business itself needs to make the application so they need to say we think that we as a business should apply and we should be eligible for the JobKeeper and to be able to be eligible they need to have had quite a substantial downturn in revenue Um, and so that can be calculated on a number of different bases but generally it's either 30% for a business, 50% for a really, really big business um, or if the organisation is a not-for-profit that's registered as a charity with the ACNC then they can demonstrate only a 15% downturn to be eligible for the JobKeeper payments. 
And what that means is that if they are eligible, they can seek for every single employee $1,500 a fortnight payment to assist them pay their staff. And the payment is really fantastic because it is even eligible for women that are on unpaid parental leave um, and people that are on parental leave that, that is unpaid. So it can actually give people a bit of a windfall, even if they weren't previously actually earning anything. Um, and the reason for that is because the whole basis and reasoning behind the JobKeeper payments is to stimulate our economy. So Research has been pretty clear that when we give money to middle or lower income earners, we know that when we give that money, they actually distribute it in really meaningful and great ways in our economy. So a lot of people have said to me, this seems really weird. I wasn't even getting any money. Why am I now getting money? Um, but that's why, because you're going to be an important contributor to the economy, whether that's going out in the morning and buying your coffee that you still need to have whilst in ISO um, or, you know, paying for some virtual lessons for your children while you're at home. There's a range of ways in which I know a lot of working mums will be helping the economy with that money. So, um, yeah, so then to be an eligible employee, you have to have been employed as at 1st of March. You need to be either a full-time or part-time employee at that time or you need to be a regular and systematic casual, which means a casual employee that's got pretty regular and consistent work and you've got that reasonable expectation of ongoing employment um, and you need to have been a casual in that way for over 12 months plus. Um, so there are some people that therefore won't be eligible um, and you also need to have either be an Australian citizen or have permanent residency or some special classes of visa. So it won't apply to um, people that are here on a student visa, unfortunately. So it will mean that some people don't get access to the JobKeeper, but there's those two streams of eligibility, one eligibility for the employer and the other for employees. Um, but yeah, it was really great to find out that women on unpaid parental leave can actually access that. And so it's important that we make sure that employers know that and include women on unpaid parental leave in their employee numbers when they're submitting that information to, um, to the ATO. And that needs to be done um, this month. So it is important that we make sure employers know that. That's really important. I've also seen a few posts on various Facebook groups saying that I'm currently getting the government parental leave. Am I entitled to JobKeeper or once the paid parental leave finishes, am I then entitled to it? How does that work with people that are getting some form of leave at the moment? Yeah, so my understanding is that once your government paid parental leave payments have finished, you can then speak, be eligible for the JobKeeper. So you'd need to speak to your employer and say, I'm currently getting the government paid parental leave. Are you applying for JobKeeper? And if so, can you please notify me or I will notify you when my payments stop and then let me know if I can then get access to that JobKeeper payment. So you can't receive it whilst you're getting the government paid parental leave, but you can receive it if you're on unpaid parental leave. Um, and potentially even you can still receive it if you're on paid parental leave from your employer. So if the employer has its own parental leave scheme that you're getting paid through, um, then you could still be eligible for the JobKeeper payments because that money is there to assist the employer make the payments to you. And really importantly, if your employer receives the money on your behalf, 
they have to pass it on in full to you. So even if you were earning less than that 1500, they have to pay the full amount to you. Again, it's there to really stimulate the economy. Um, and the other really important element is if you're on parental leave, just because you're getting that money doesn't mean that the employer can require you to return to work for that money. So it's not a scheme to give employers more bums on seats to do more work for them. It's a scheme to make sure that we're keeping the connection between employer and employee. But if the employer asks you, being someone on parental leave, to return to work, and that's earlier than what you were planning, you should consider that and negotiate with your employer and particularly they have to take into account your caring responsibilities. But if you wanted to consider it, I think it's a really great idea, particularly because it's about building that relationship between you and your employer, but you need to consider what you can actually manage and they have to take into account your caring responsibilities given COVID and the fact that you're at home with a, with a new baby. So you don't have to go back to work if they're asking you to if, to claim that job keeper. Not if it's just in relation to you need to come in to get this money. If they get it for you, then they have to pass that on. But the Fair Work Ombudsman is recommending that employers and employees do chat and try and negotiate together a really good outcome. So I've helped a lot of women in the last couple of weeks reach a compromise with their employer about some work that they can do from home or on a short-term basis just because they then want to keep the foot in the door and show good faith to their employer that they're willing to sort of do some work for that money. Um, but, you know, if it's a really long time until you're due back and you just couldn't cope because you've got a whole range of caring responsibilities or, you know, um, health issues, then that's something that you should certainly put to your employer and push back. Oh, that's really helpful. And I've also seen a number of people being asked um, to take pay cuts uh, during the time at the moment. Have you been fielding many of these type questions? Not as much in relation to JobKeeper, but um, one of the employee lawyers that I do refer a lot to, Carly Stebbing, has been doing some great advocacy work on behalf of employees in relation to this. Some of the big four consulting firms have already implemented mandatory pay cuts. It's really important that employers still consult with you as an employee. There's, there's supposed to be a consultation provision before they just cut um, the cut pay and also ordinarily you would hope that if there's a cut to pay then there would be a cut to hours worked and that's not happening at all times no I'm so, not hearing that yeah so I think if that's if that's what's happening to you you're being asked to reduce your hours and keep full full um so cut your hours and keep full um and take a cut in your pay then I think you need to consider um, seeking advice and the Fair Work Ombudsman is really fantastic. I thought that during this time there would be huge delays in people getting assistance but they've um, people have been reporting back to me that they've gotten onto the Fair Work Ombudsman within 20 minutes which is the normal waiting time so I would definitely recommend people call the Fair Work Ombudsman. They've also got really good um, practical guidance and tips around what your employer can ask you to do in relation to the use of your annual leave, um, long service leave, etc. So there's a whole range of um, fact sheets on their website, but also if you give them a call, that's definitely worthwhile. Oh, that's good to know that the Fair Work Ombudsman's still in that way because, yeah, I've had multiple friends just from a personal experience that have been asked to take pay cuts, uh, extended leave, and um, I know a friend's husband didn't 
yeah, really have almost a choice. It was almost being threatened to be made redundant if he didn't agree to uh, the terms and conditions of the company. But it's good to know that the Fair Work Ombudsman out there to also advocate for the employees during this tough time. Yeah, it is a really great um, resource and assistance for employers. And as I said, I thought they would have been inundated, but they've been really proactive. Um, I think, you know, number one, their top tip is to try and negotiate where you can. Um, and I saw today even the PM, Scott Morrison, has said that he'll be looking at all different types of solutions and wants people to be really creative and, um, you know, work with their with the business world and um, the unions to try and get a resolution for these things. And I think that sometimes previously our conceptions around what our rights are and what our entitlements are, they fact they may feel undermined because we're really all just fighting to try and keep our job and to keep businesses alive. So yeah, it does seem like new territory. And um, if you are eligible to receive the JobKeeper payments, there are new rights that employers have around being able to force you to take leave and to be able to require you to go and stand down, et cetera. So that is something that, um, yeah, again, if you've got any concerns, I definitely would just speak to fellow Ombudsman. No problems. And is there anything else you want to add around JobKeeper uh, through some of the questions and inquiries you've received during this time? I think it's really important to, one, if you haven't been contacted by your employer yet around JobKeeper, just be really proactive and ask them, are they... Um, going to be applying for the JobKeeper and if they say that they're not going to be applying for it then you can ask them why not is it because there hasn't been downturn or is it because they're choosing not to apply for it I think it's just really important information for you to be aware of um, and I had a girlfriend who contacted HR for a very very large national retailer um, and the HR team just simply hadn't yet learned that people on unpaid parental leave would be eligible. So it was really great that she was proactive and that she contacted them because then they were able to make sure that they sent her the right forms where the employee has to fill it out, sign on the dotted line, and then now she can be included in that headcount. So I guess that would be my biggest tip to, if you're not sure if you're eligible or if your employer is applying for it, make sure that you just get on the front foot and ask them. And also it's not something that they can choose whether or not they're gonna give it to you. Um, you know, if they receive it on your behalf, they have to pass it on 100%. So this same girlfriend was saying, oh, I feel bad. You know, there's probably other people that need it more than me. I wasn't even getting anything. Um, but it's really not up to her. The law says that if they get it on their, on her behalf, they have to pass it on. So, you know, that's a win-win for our economy. So, yeah, definitely just be proactive and don't be scared to ask the question. Yeah. And is there any salary limits on it? I know with the government paid parental leave, there are salary limits. Is there anything with JobKeeper? No, there's absolutely no um, salary information. So it doesn't matter how much your partner earns. Um, that's different to the job seeker. So it's a little bit confusing with the names. The job keeper is the one where we want to keep you having that relationship with your employer to keep you involved with your current business and current employer. The job seeker is when um, either you're stood down um, from your business so there's not the opportunity to get um, to, to be working or um, you're actually looking for a job. So that's why it's called job seeker. You're seeking a job. With the job seeker, there is a threshold for salary and it, they do take into account what your partner is earning. Um, and from memory, I believe that's around 79,000, but you should um, refer to the Centrelink website for information on that. And particularly you should do that if you're not eligible for JobKeeper, you should be contacting um, Centrelink and seeing what it is that you are eligible for. 
Uh, good information. Um, so now we'll just have a look a bit forward thinking um, about post-COVID. Um, obviously, a lot for working mums is about workplace flexibility, working from home and the like. What's your view about how you see the workplace changing post-COVID? Such a good question. Like I did a, um, a Zoom sort of um, event with a organisation, Agile 11. So they do um, Agile management and it was with some other fantastic panel members. And this was in the very first week of COVID. So I think I did one day um, working from home and then I had to do this event um, by Zoom. And one of the questions that was asked of the panel is, well, if we're all going to be working from home, isn't this just going to prove that working from home is easy and that we can all do it? Um, and my response at that time was that I'm a little bit pessimistic about that because this is not working from home. This is working from home in a crisis whilst we're in lockdown with children at home um, and we can't, you know, not we can't all send them um, to childcare or to school. So, um, you know, I think it's a very different situation to a normal working from home arrangement. And also in relation to our family business, you know, we had to go from all working in the office with 20 staff to within a week all being working, all working um, virtually. And that, again, that's a really different arrangement. Normally when there's a working from home um, situation, you would spend a lot of time planning for it. And, um, you know, in, in my book, I've got a whole chapter on, okay, you're about to go on parental leave. What do you need to do? Um, you know, and there's lots of steps that we can take in months in the planning, but in this situation, you know, it was a very short period of time for people to be arranging that process. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to show a lot of people that working from home is possible. But I think we need to keep in mind that the current scenario is not the optimal working from home situation, which obviously every everyone listening here knows. Um, we know, but our employers may not know. So I think, you know, if, if a boss says to someone, I think COVID-19 proved that you can't work from home because when we were doing all these Zoom conferences, you had children running around and there was, you know, interruptions or there was a delay in you getting your work done. I think the response needs to be, no, that does not prove that working from home doesn't work. What that proves is that it's not going to be highly constructive if I've got three children that I'm trying to, you know, school and keep... Home school um, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly, keep active. So, um, yeah, from that... From that perspective, I think it's going to be interesting just for us to sort of try and work out how we can better, um, yeah, keep all of that in mind and, and make it work. So with that and that negotiation with your employer upon return, when we get back to normal, whatever normal is going to be in 12, 18 months time, who knows, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, what are some tips and, and tricks that people can use when having that negotiation and, and having that conversation with their employers say, I want to work from home, um, even if it's one day a week, um, where previously may, they may not have been allowed to do it in the future. they know they've got now the IT systems to do it and they hopefully won't have kids um, in the background as um, the other distraction as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the legislation actually entitles people to request flexible work arrangements. So if you've got um, children of school aged or you have someone, you're caring for someone with a disability, then you've got that right to actually ask for flexible work arrangements. There are new rules around how the employer needs to respond to those requests. And 
basically previously an employer used to be able to say, oh, reasonable business grounds exist and no, we're going to reject that request. And now there's an extra step that's been implemented, which means that before they refuse the request, they actually need to consult with you. So they need to meet with you. They need to have a discussion about what your request is. Um, and then they need to provide you with more substantial reasons around refusing that request. So my biggest tip for working and working flexibly and changing a current arrangement is to have a lot of discussions with your direct manager and then their manager, if, if necessary, well before you actually put in a formal request to work flexibly. So the times in which I've seen employers call me and say, this person's put in, a, normally a woman has put in a request to work flexibly. Um, I don't like how she's put it, you know, the information that she's provided to me. So I'm just going to refuse this request, but I'm just calling you to check if there's any <laughs> discriminatory, you know, grounds or if I've done anything wrong. And I think, geez, you know, rather than just say no, there's a whole conversation that should have happened first. And often I can see that normally the woman, she's put in a huge amount of effort to consider how the situation can work for her. And that takes a lot of time and effort, I know from my own personal um, scenario. But what they haven't done is talk to their manager first and do it in a way that the management feel that they've got control or some kind of um, buy-in to that process. So I think that the first thing to do is to have a chat and it might even be a really informal conversation over coffee about the proposal or the scenario that you're thinking. And rather than be saying, hey, Jane, my boss, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. I think it's really clever to actually ask questions first. So if you're not sure about their appetite for flexible work, which obviously hopefully will change a little bit post-COVID, but if, if they're you know saying, okay, post-COVID, everyone needs to be back in the office, we need to see people face-to-face, -face. we now know that that's the best way to be, then I think we need to be asking questions about, hey, what, what would you think if, if um, you know, I was to do a bit of work flexibly or how would you feel about blah? So it's really asking questions first and then getting your information as opposed to saying, this is what I want. What do you think about that? It's more softly, softly. And then that secondary um, step would be, you'd even say to Jane, hey, I'd really like to further that discussion. Um, it seems that there might be an opportunity in relation to X, Y, Z, because you've gained their feedback of what, about what bits they seem comfortable with. Um, you know, would it be okay if I put something to you in an email or could we have further discussion about that now? And then you go into that second meeting. And then the third step would be the actual formal application. Once you've really assessed from them what would work and what wouldn't. And in doing that process, what you're doing is making sure that by the time you put in that formal application, you're not putting in information in there that you know they're going to reject. So, for example, if you know that they're absolutely not going to let you miss Monday 9am because that's a team meeting, but that team meeting doesn't happen Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then you can make sure that you say, I will be in the office at 9am Monday through this team meeting and then you can try and work around it. So you're really putting your, your best foot forward before you put that application in. And then I think if you do get um, some kind of negative response from that application, it really should be positioned in a way that when I put this application in, I then want to discuss it with you. So it's not a yes or no answer. It's a here's some options for your consideration. <laughs> Again, it's a little bit of managing up and stroking the ego allowing them to feel that they've had control of the process, allowing them to feel that they've, they've been able to buy into it, um, giving them some options. Um, it might be that you don't show all of your cards at once, but you just put in some things. And then um, 
then when you actually meet to them face to face, it might be that they don't agree to 100% of what you've asked for, but you get 70%. And that might be a real, an outcome that you're prepared to live with. So yeah, I think the times where I see that whole process fall down is when the employees thought really hard about what they want, but there hasn't been a discussion in the lead up and it really just results in a no as opposed to a further discussion. Um, so yeah, that would be my tip around um, how to request and then how to kind of work through that process to get what it is that you want ultimately. Yeah, and I think a lot of employees will be asking uh, about flexible work and um, yeah, and, and going forward, it'll be interesting to see how our workforce dynamic and makeup actually changes post COVID. Um, and I think also not only for the mothers, but also for the fathers, uh, that'd be a good win out of this as well. Cause I know there's a lot more fathers out there that do want to work flexibly um, and may have the, the days from home um, and the like where, cause they've also been helping around the home quite a bit, hopefully. Um, so uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see um, in the mirror ball about what, what comes out um, in the next few years from the washout of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there's been a lot more push um, from some of our um, the companies in Australia leading the way in this um, in relation to providing both genders with the option to take parental leave or really encouraging both genders to do that. I think that the only way we're going to see significant change in that respect is for... Um, there to be really more enforced or encouraged um, parental leave and it's people that have paved the way for us that show us and talk to us about the benefits of it that are the ones that are going to really um, it, you know influence change so um, in relation to the first time that I took parental leave my partner and I decided that we would both work three days on three days off and we'd really share it because I wanted it to be fully 50 50 equality yeah <laughs> no <laughs> A real feminist approach. Um, yeah, it was a total disaster. So I'm not necessarily um, <laughs> encouraging that. But one of the good outcomes of it was that um, my one of my colleagues was a, a male junior lawyer in my team. And he said that he'd never even thought of being able to work flexibly and take unpaid parental leave and do it in that the way or a similar way than what Brendan and I had done. And so, you know, it was just the mere fact that Brendan and I were talking about what we were doing and looking at alternatives because I didn't want to take a full 12 months off that he was then able to think for his own purposes. And he has now just commenced um, his first um, few months off um, as part of his parental leave. Um, so his partner did the first 12 months and he's now doing the second six months or something like that. So, you know, I think that's a really great example to show that we need to lead the way. We need to be talking about alternative options. Um, and I've seen a lot of men on LinkedIn post and say how nice it is that they're now having, you know, breakfast with their children or they're having a um, kick of the footy at lunchtime. And I think those stories are really important, but we need to just make sure that that's not seen as a luxury because of ISO and that we actually start implementing some of those changes that we've been enjoying because of ISO. Yeah. And I think there's not all negative about ISO. Um, there are, as there are some negatives around it, but there's also some positives. Uh, certainly that, that um, lunchtime would kick of the footy. I know that for me personally, I'm loving a bit more exercise and uh, my husband's also spending more time at home with our son. So then he can enjoy that time that otherwise he wouldn't have had and he's also said that to friends of saying this is an advantage he gets to see and hang out a little bit more than what he's been doing in the in the past which is yeah it's not all negative 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just loving not having to commute every day. And I didn't even have a long commute, but I think it does really add to that additional mental load. If you, um, you know, as a primary carer or whatever, as a, as a co-parent, um, if you're trying to work out the schedule, that commuting can really add, add it, you know, time to your day and also eat into that time with your kids. So I think that, um, so many of these flex for work options and um, the tech platforms that we've been using during this time are really going to demonstrate that there's a lot we can do, um, not necessarily from the office. So that's a really good positive. Yeah, hundred percent. That that's why I'm going to be really interested to see how everything comes out in the wash up um, post COVID. Uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting. Um, you've talked about parental leave um, just before for males, um, and I know there's a lot that goes on around as well with females as well around parental leave and what they're allowed to do, um, even the um, keeping in touch days as well, and that's not well known by a lot of people. Are you able to give some background on those topics um, to help people out, particularly around the parental leave? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually working for Australian Industry Group when they lobbied pretty hard to make sure that the keeping in touch provisions were implemented in the Fair Work Act. And at the time, I'm thinking this is strange because Australian Industry Group are an employer representative group and here they were advocating for additional responsibilities to be placed on businesses. But Heather Riddout, who was the CEO at that time, she explained to me that it's really important because if businesses are keeping in touch with their workers, they're much more likely to get those workers back on board. And they can also communicate a whole raft of changes that are happening. And I actually think that it would have been better for the legislation to have imposed mutual obligations, so for both employer and employee, because where I've seen the keeping in touch provisions work best is where the employee themselves is actually being really proactive in relation to their own engagement with that business. And I think that where I see people being made redundant, it's because that person and that manager or that employer really didn't keep in touch and have sort of ongoing and continuous discussions around, um, you know, that person's role and how they were going to come back into the workplace. And, you know, it's really easy under the legislation for an employer to be able to say there's change in, in the operations and we now no longer need that role, so your job's made redundant. And the Fair Work Commission, you know, they have to be pretty careful about not telling a business how to run their business. So they do give businesses a lot of leeway to say, whether or not they need a role. So it is a pretty easy out um, under the legislation to, to make someone redundant if they're on um, parental leave, but it does need to be a genuine redundancy. And I think that if we as employees can be really proactive and really engaged, even to be honest, when we don't want to be engaged. So, you know, I know that feeling, you're yes. six, eight weeks in, you've got a newborn, you're still struggling to learn how to breastfeed, maybe you've got multiple children, like it's stressful no matter what situation you're in. Um, but I think even just an email to the team checking in or when you're ready taking the baby into the workplace, just really keeping in touch and making sure that they know that you're still alive, you're still well and you're still intending to return to work, even if in your whole heart and mind you're not sure if you actually want to go back. I think it's really good to make sure that you've got that seat at the table. Of course, you may have that seat at the table by law, but as I said, there's ways for the employer to legally make your job redundant. So 
think it's really good to make sure that you're yeah very present and and always talking about your return and what that might look like and even if you're not sure in what you know specific circumstance to still be talking in those terms so that your manager knows okay that person's coming back they're still part of my headcount and then the keeping in touch provisions that are their obligation are to make sure that they're letting you know if there's been any substantial changes within the business and that can even be just as simple as um, there's been a change in the software that we use or we're actually rejigging our office and there's going to be a change in where your desk is located. So even really practical, simple things like that, they actually are obliged to get in contact with you and talk to you about that. Um, and I've had a lot of people that have said to me, the only time my business or the manager contacted me was when I gave birth to my child and they sent flowers to the hospital. And it's been now eight months, nine months, whatever, and I still haven't heard from them. And in that situation, obviously that's crap and that's really poor management. But I think there's also the onus on the employee to make sure they're really, they've got that foot forward and that they're talking. So my best advice in those situations are they might be in breach of their keeping in touch provisions, but that's not really going to help you. What's going to help you is if you get on the front foot now and request a meeting with your manager and talk to them about um, how you're going and, find out how they're going and what changes have happened in the team and how can you best position yourself to come back and get that job and that position back. Yeah, it's that two-way communication. Yeah. Um, and you've also talked about redundancy. So often you hear about women that are returning from mat leave and they've been made redundant. It's sad how many times this happens. Uh, like, why like I know you say like you can do reorgs and that, but it's just I just have probably it's more of a comment. It's really unfortunate because as we know, working mamas, we're probably if not the most productive people in the workplace. I've spoken to other people saying if, if they hear someone's a mum, they will hire them because they know how efficient and productive they are. Whereas you get some organizations um that think it's probably too much of a hassle to have a part-time worker and instead they're made redundant it's uh it's a real sad state of affairs sad state of affairs when uh, you hear it happening time and time again I totally agree yeah and I think it's wrong I mean as I said by law you have the right to return to the role that you left so that your job is actually preserved and your position is preserved so that you've got that right to take the parental leave that's given to you by legislation um, so that can be 12 months and up to 24 months and then you've got the right to return to that role um, unfortunately as you're saying there is the out that the job can be made redundant and I did speak to Elizabeth Broderick about this and she was facilitating the um, Australian Human Rights Commission at that time and she'd actually just come back from these Nordic countries and I and they've got amazing flexible work and oh, you know, amazing parental leave as well the amazing paid parental leave. And I said to her, well, how do they manage flexible work? Because for me, representing businesses, particularly small businesses, if someone takes 12 months off, let alone 24 months, that's a really long time in the life of a small business. So things can have really drastically changed in that time. And if they've had to rejig the business to deal with someone being away for 12 to 24 months, that can often then lead to the redundancy being implemented, which is not good for anyone. Um, so I was asking her, how do these Nordic countries deal with it? And she said, Catherine, they don't take, people don't take 12 to 24 months off. They take much shorter periods of time because they're allowed and enabled to return flexibly. 
So I thought, isn't that interesting? If we were able to come back on a real flexible basis, three, six months, you know, eight months in, then we're able to still keep that connection. It really comes back to that discussion we had around the, the keeping in touch provisions. We, we're able to still keep that connection. Um, we're able to, to build our, you know, professional life and our networks. And we're not taking those massive chunks of time away, meaning it's probably, you know, easier in some circumstances to get back into it. But the thing that, you know, was missing at that time, and I think we've still got a long way to go in Australia, are businesses enabling people to work flexibly. And so, again, I hope that COVID-19 has really shown businesses that if people can prove that they can make it work in this kind of crisis and this awful pandemic atmosphere, then surely we can prove to them that we can make it work in the good times. So fingers crossed, there's a bit yeah. of optimism. <laughs> I guess it's what you're saying and even the Nordic countries, it's that whole ecosystem. It's not just looking at things in a siloed mentality. It is that everything put together that's got in the mix of the employee engagement and interactions with an organisation, that it's also part of that psychological contract that you have of, yep, they're giving me something and helping me work flexibly flexibly a bit of that return to work so there's a bit of give and take on both ends is what you were saying as well earlier it can't just be maybe one-way communication communication is two ways mm. um, and then in the Nordic countries sounds like they've actually got that system yeah and the other thing that they've got which you alluded to earlier is they've got much greater gender balance so if the other partner normally the male if they don't take the paid parental leave, they're actually disadvantaged from a tax perspective. Oh, so wow. it's not even a question now. There's a huge uptake of um, paid parental leave being taken by men. And I think that that goes massively towards reducing the mental load on the female counterpart. We don't yet have enough um, statistics and information on same-sex couples, but from reports from places like Better Place Australia that have a rainbow family service, they say to us that there's a lot less issues when it comes to gender equality um, and the division of labour between both um, genders. Um, but we certainly know from these Nordic countries that because both partners get paid parental leave and there's that forced um, time off, um, you know, I think that that does make it a lot easier for people to transition back at a time that suits them um, and, yeah, it assists them in the time that they actually really need to be there. And the other thing that a lot of these countries are doing, like, um, so Spotify, who's owned by Sweden, they actually have the ability, that their employees have the ability to take that paid parental leave at a time that suits them up till the child is around six. Oh, so wow. you don't just have to take it all in that first year. If you want to go back to work earlier, you can take some when the baby is born um, and then you can take some at, an, at a later stage. And I think that's also a really great option as well. So hopefully we'll see more of that. We're seeing a lot of Australian companies leading the way um, and they, the ones that are leading the way are utilising um, Circling, which is a fantastic new sort of, um, yeah, yeah, flexible work and parental-friendly um, business. So... Yeah, I think we're seeing some really good improvements, but it's tough on small businesses. I think we can't just expect that um, small businesses can offer what big businesses do. We need the government to put in a lot more than 18 weeks minimum pay. 
Yeah, definitely. And I know that in my personal situation, um, when my, when I had my son almost two years ago, my husband's firm wasn't as supportive around even him taking three weeks leave. So him taking extra time off, um, to help share that load, uh, was never actually going to be an option. And the fallout of that actually meant about probably less engagement from him um, with the firm. It was um, a big turning point. So, but I've also seen conversely organizations uh, that allow fathers to take, you know, three, six months off to be then that primary care for a period of time. The employee, yeah, that psychological contract is so much higher and the family are actually bought into that whole company as well because they're not only just helping that employee, but they're actually helping the family um, have that those memories together. And it's really interesting to see the difference um, and the way that people talk about their jobs when they do have that uh, positive engagement with flexible work um, and parental leave as opposed to when they don't. It's hopefully mm. the conversation starts changing more. Uh, and again, that's another positive outcome, hopefully, that people can advocate <laughs> for from COVID. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And Catherine, I know we could talk all day on some of these topics, um, but um, importantly as well, how do you work flexibly? Yeah. So I basically, at the moment, I'm working really flexibly for the law firm that I consult to Law Squared. So in that sense, um, I really just do the work that's required um, and email at the, at the end of the week, the hours that I've put in. Um, and that's how I'm working with them. And because their founder is 32, everyone works flexibly. It's an incredibly progressive firm um, that provides a lot of, um, I guess, nuances. So really individualizes that employment relationship depending on the person. So that's been really fantastic. And then in relation to my family business, I had to put in a formal request to my father, <laughs> who's the chief operating officer. Um, and I actually started with them doing nine till two, three days, then nine till two, four days. And now I'm doing nine till four, four days. Um, I think that the, the one thing that I've learned the most from having two children and working flexibly in, in very different scenarios with baby one and baby two, but the thing that I've learned, I guess it's been consistent, is never to think that the request that you're putting in to work flexibly is the thing that you have to live with for the rest of your life. So, you know, when we, you know, we normally go for a job and there's a job application, then you get the contract and it's like, here are the hours there, Monday to Friday, nine to five or whatever it is. And you sign on the dotted line and that's it. You go ahead thinking these are going to be my work hours. But when you're negotiating to work flexibly or to return to work, the thing that I've had to keep in mind is that, well, the thing that I've learnt from my darling children <laughs> is that what might work for three months will then not work for the three months after that. And then as soon as I've got something really well, um, you know, going really well for me, the kid will change completely or the scenario will change completely, whether that's through childcare arrangements or, you know, new kinder timetable or sleep regressions or whatever it is. Um, I've had to really learn to embrace being in flux and that can be difficult as a manager and as a business owner. But I think that if we can really consider it as an employee that here's a scenario that I would like and I would like to put this in place for a few months and can we then check back in either on a monthly basis or at the end of that three-month period um, and we can assess at that stage is it still working for me as the employee but importantly is it still working for you as the manager or as the employer 
And if you can keep that fluid, fluidity um, and the conversation going, then I think that that can really help. So for me at this stage, it's yeah, nine to four, Monday to Thursday. I love having my Friday off because um, it means I get, you know, that really nice day alone with the two kids. Um, but that's what's working now. And I'm quite well aware that that might not work in July when our au pair goes home. So it's just that constant <laughs> juggle and learning myself on how to, you know, get work done, how to be a good mom and, and a good partner. Um, yeah. And how to manage the juggle. Oh, it is real. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so on that, what do you do for yourself? How do you fill your cup? Oh, look, I mean, I think the Friday for me is pretty special because I don't spend all week with my kids. It means that I am just personally a better mom on the Friday because I can just go all in um, and go really hard. And so I definitely fill my cup by spending time with them on the Friday. Um, and then ordinarily, I would love to have sort of the monthly catch up that I have with um, a group of girlfriends that I have. We're called the GTGs because one of our girlfriends said that we're the good time girls. So <laughs> on our WhatsApp what yeah, we're the GTGs. So once a month we catch up as a, a group of girlfriends and that's really special. So we've got our virtual catch up on Saturday night, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and apart from that, I just love when 8pm rolls around. It is like my favourite time because it means that both kids are hopefully asleep and I can either have a quick chat to my partner, but in all honesty, I just love reading whatever latest book I've got going or listening to a podcast and I fall asleep every night listening to a podcast it's just sort of my me time so I really love that oh that's fantastic what a good way to you've got multiple ways to fill your cup which is awesome and how good a web web catch-ups at the moment I had one last Saturday night with my girlfriends as well it was so good we we're talking for hours so yeah oh, it was so awesome nice. awesome <laughs> all right Catherine it's been great so quickly how can people connect with you um, look, I'm pretty active on Instagram. That's probably my favorite platform. I'm at let's make it work, baby. That's the name of my book as well. Um, but I guess I probably share the most in my stories of all the activities that I do with the kids, um, just because it's the thing that keeps me sane. So yeah, she has great activities every morning. There's a new activity. I'm very, very jealous. I don't know how you find the time to do it. Oh, it's just something I, I do to keep myself sane. But um, yeah, so at let's let's make it work, baby. I'm also on LinkedIn under Catherine Brooks. Um, but they're the two ways are probably best to yeah, best to connect. Sensational. Well, good luck in isolation and with the juggle and it'd be interesting to see we can look back on this podcast in 12, 18 months time to see how things have evolved around flexible work. So thank you again. It's been so helpful and I'm sure everyone will get a lot out of it, particularly your insights into the job keeper opportunities. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, mama is M-U-M-M-A, www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.